Um, if you have a Bible, open it up to uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at a, a larger section of Scripture this morning, Matthew 11, 1 through 24. Uh, Matthew 11, 1 through 24. And we're, we're, I want to just give you kind of the outline. Uh, first of all, what we see is people um, not really understanding the identity of Jesus and who is he and how do we know that he's legit and then from there it moves on it moves on to John the Baptist who is John the Baptist and how do we know he's legit does he have authority does he have authenticity um, and is he worthy to be trusted and then there's some pretty intense words uh, for those who miss out on these identities, the true identity of Jesus, the true identity of John the Baptist, and what does that mean for people? So in one sense, this text is all about unmet expectations, unmet expectations. We're going to think about that this morning. Uh, what does the Christian faith have to say about unmet expectations? I saw this theme in the text, uh, a story from my marriage really came to the forefront of my mind. Um, Oftentimes, unmet expectations is a theme in conflict in a lot of our marriages. And uh, that's what happened in this um, it was a, a, a weekend uh, about five years ago. So it was my wife's 40th birthday. And um, there's a long story here that I'm not going to tell it all. But the short version is this. My wife and I have a, you know, have a, a history of um, going to bed and breakfast to celebrate birthdays, to, spe- to celebrate anniversaries. And for the most part, man, when you reserve a bed and breakfast or a little getaway or something, if you just do some research online, everything seems to go well. Like pictures correspond to the reality. And uh, in our, you know, at the time it was 17 years of marriage, uh, we've done pretty well. Like we've done a lot of Airbnbs, bed and breakfast. And for the most part, I'm the one that books them and I'm batting a thousand. Right, babe? Yep. (laughs) And so um, I did a little surprise for Kim. Um, There's an expectation that she wasn't quite uh, ready for, a big surprise (laughs) birthday party. Um, Found out after the fact she's not a huge fan of surprise birthday parties. Uh, (laughs) And there are some circumstances there that I won't go into. Uh, You can ask me later. Um, Anyway, so I whisk her away to this bed and breakfast over on the southwest wisconsin pictures look great we get there at night and uh we walk in the door and it's just kind of like man uh not sure the pictures are uh corresponding to the reality so it's kind of like um a room that was like straight out of 1981 um that my grandma might have designed um no offense to my grandma but just a Different stylistic preferences, if you will. Doilies on the wall, things like that. And, you know, like a, a little kitchenette that looked like it hadn't been touched since 1955. <laughs> and um, it was just not quite what we were expecting. Well, one of the draws of this Ben Breakfast was that they had a loft. This was, this was on a, like an old farm that had been redone and like a cabin on this old farm. And they had a loft in this little cabin where you climb the stairs and there's a hot tub up in the loft. And that was all that was up there, just a the hot tub. 
And so that's kind of cool. Like we never experienced something like that before. Um, climb the climb the ladder up to the loft, and you there's a hot tub up there. And so we're like, all right, well let's you know, Kim. I could tell Kim was like, this wasn't quite what I was expecting, but she's trying to like you know just be thankful, and I put a lot of work into this, and I knew we weren't off to a good start. <laughs> Get up into the hot tub and turn the water on, and there's no hot water, and it's like lukewarm, and. As you can imagine, major downer. I mean, first world problems, but still, you know, major downer. So it uh, it didn't it didn't go very well. We were we we had some challenges, and we worked through it, and it was fine. And there's a there's a happy ending to the story. But that night was all about unmet expectations for Kim, and and that was hard for her. She was thinking one thing and she got something else. And uh, I didn't know really what we were getting into. And so it was uh, nobody's fault. It was just the reality. And so, uh, and so uh, we, um, we all struggle with unmet expectations. I mean, you can think about that in your own life. Probably happened yesterday or I mean, it's, it happens all of the time. And when expectations are not met, there's always room for disappointment. People that know me or people that work with me hear me say all the time, managing expectations is one of, the, it's probably 90% of the solution in terms of um, not being disappointed and not having conflict in relationships. This is normal human experience. But the question then becomes, why did I have the expectations that I had? Were those expectations well-founded? Were they misinformed? And that's what, what we're going to see in Matthew 11. That's what it's all about this morning. It's all about this morning. So let's look at verse 1 of Matthew 11. Jesus says this, um, I'm sorry, Matthew says this. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So remember chapter 10. Chapter 10 was all about missionary instructions for Jesus' disciples. He's sending them out to, to spread the message of the kingdom Repent and believe the king has come. And so uh, he sends them out and then he's going to go do the same thing. He's going to go preach and teach. That's what it says, what it says here, verse one. Now, verse two. Now, when John, this is John the Baptist, we learned about him in chapter three. When John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? So let me give you the backstory here. If you flip back to chapter 3, flip back to chapter 3 with me really quick. We see in chapter 3 that John the Baptist um, true to his name baptizes Jesus. <clears throat> and this is what we saw. Look at back at verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Okay. And John says, John would have pre prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So John recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, John the Baptist was full of faith at this point. But some time had passed since chapter 3, and now we're in chapter 11. So keep your thumb in chapter 3. We're going to go back there a little bit. Um, and now John is sitting in prison. 
John had gotten mixed up with the wrong politician and he spoke some truth to power. And uh, King Herod didn't like that. And so he puts him in prison. And so John is sitting in prison. And you can imagine if you're in prison, he's got a lot of time to think and reflect on what's been happening in his geographical area in the last few weeks, last few months. And here's the problem for John as he's reflecting on this. Jesus doesn't quite line up with what John was expecting. See, John was Jewish and he knew the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, um, they misunderstood it, but part of what they were expecting was that the Messiah would be this military ruler that would come in and defeat enemies and set up the kingdom. And um, that's why John says here in verse 3 of verse 11, sorry, of chapter 11, that's why John says, look at verse 3 of chapter 11. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? He brings his disciples to him and he says, guys, I want you to go ask Jesus. I'm confused. Are you the Messiah? Because I'm not totally sure. <clears throat> Before he was sure. Time has passed. Expectations have not been met by what he was expecting about the Messiah. Jesus isn't doing that. And now he's wondering. <clears throat> See, John wanted a military ruler, but he doesn't see Jesus getting mixed up in politics. He doesn't see him gathering a big army to himself. He doesn't see him bringing right now a whole lot of judgment on the enemies of God's people. See, again, flip back to chapter 3, and you, we, can, we can see what John was expecting. Look at, verse, <clears throat> look at verse 10. So this is John speaking to uh, people gathered to him. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Metaphor here. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here's verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is unmistakably John's pronouncement of judgment. He's just saying, inside comes, there's going to be judgment. That's what John was expecting. Unmet expectations. Little bit of doubt creeping in here for John as he is in prison. Now, look at how Jesus answers. Look at verse 4 of chapter 11. Look how Jesus answers. So, Imagine it in your mind, John's disciples coming to Jesus. Are you, the, are you the real deal? Are you legit? Here's how Jesus answers, verse four. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see and hear, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what Jesus is doing here is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And it's beautiful because he knows these Jewish people know the Old Testament. So he's just telling them what they already know. And so he's just quoting Isaiah, predictions of the Messiah, to John's followers. He's just saying, you guys know the scriptures. I know everything doesn't line up as you think it should, but just see what Isaiah said and then see what I'm doing and then believe. That's what he's saying. Scripture's being fulfilled right now in my works and in my teaching and in my healing. 
And then he just gives a gentle rebuke in verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Meaning you will be blessed. You will find favor. You will find joy and happiness and uh, long-term joy and happiness if you receive me, Jesus says. If you receive me and not turn away from me because expectations aren't totally lining up. So again, when expectations are not met, is it because of me or is it because of the other person? Maybe my expectations need to be adjusted. So the summary here of these verses is just, Jesus is just saying, hold on. See the scripture, see my life, and believe. That's just what he says. See the scripture, see my life, and believe. Trust me, don't give up. Don't be impatient. So question for us, can we relate to that? Can we relate to that? I think many of us can relate to that right now. I know I can. John was confined to his prison cell. It was messing with his head. Many of us are feeling this way too in, in quarantine. We're, we're confined in this, not in the, the same way. It's not a severe, but it's still a type of confinement. And that can mess with our heads. But Jesus wants to remind us today, like he did for John, don't give up. Look to my deeds and my words. Don't give up. Keep on. Jesus still has a plan and he will accomplish it. In his sovereignty, there's probably a million things happening right now as a result of what we're enduring, uh, enduring that we can't see. We can't understand. But the call to us is to see and believe, to listen and believe and not give up. Jesus is still king. He still rules and reigns. He's still on the throne. The, the words that he told us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, that's still true. This is our motivation to keep going. So John was a bit confused about Jesus. But now Jesus wants to turn the tables because he knows the people were not just confused about him. They were confused about John the Baptist too. So first John the Baptist was confused and we look at that. And now we want to address, Jesus wants to address the people and their confusion about John the Baptist and his ministry. Look at verse 7. So he's dealt with John's disciples. And now he wants to deal with John the Baptist and what people think of him. As they went away, John's disciples, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So now the audience is the crowds concerning John, John the Baptist. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? He was baptizing people out in the wilderness in chapter 3. A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? He's talking about their expectations. A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Again, he's quoting the Old Testament. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. <clears throat> Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So 
what's Jesus getting at here? There's a lot here. But a summary would just simply be this. Jesus is just saying, you can believe what John the Baptist said about me in chapter 3. I'm still that guy that he talked about, even though things might not line up. It may not fit into your timetable of what you were expecting, but I'm still that guy. Don't don't give up on my words. Don't, Don't back down. Don't lose faith in what John said about me. Trust the Old Testament scriptures. Look at verse 10. Look at it again. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way before you. Again, he's saying to a Jewish people who love the Old Testament, these words apply to John the Baptist. The scripture is being fulfilled right now in your hearing. So believe it. Listen and believe. John the Baptist plays a very important role here. He may not be what you were expecting, but it's true. He is legit. The Old Testament scriptures show this. I am saying it, Jesus said. What do we have thus far? The theme here is unbelief based on unmet expectations. And, 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 and the point here is based on what you know of the Old Testament, Jesus says, trust in me and what I tell you and trust in John the Baptist and what he tells you. Verse 15, so key. We hear it all the time in, in, in the Gospels. Verse 15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is so frequent on the, on the lips of Jesus. As he cries out, as he preaches, as he just casts his words out there like a, like a sower sowing seeds into the soil, just casting them onto the ground. And he's just saying, are you willing to hear? Do you have ears? Not just that like the, the sound passes into your ears, but it passes into your ears and down into your heart for the sake of life change, for the sake of life change. And sadly, here's what we're going to see in the rest of our text. Jesus knew, sadly, that the answer for many people would be no. It would be, they, they wouldn't have ears to hear. And we're going to look at that next week as well. As a result, though, Jesus now moves into a section where in light of the situation, no ears to hear, unmet expectations leading to no ears to hear, Jesus moves into a a section where he pronounces judgment. And ironically, this is what John the Baptist was expecting originally, immediate judgment, defeat of enemies. But what we're going to see Jesus do is really, really interesting. What he does is he pronounces judgment and he promises judgment, but the execution of that judgment would not be what they expected. Again, unmet expectations. This is where the gospel comes in. See, in the beautiful plan of God, Jesus would first bring that judgment on himself. You see, he's pronouncing this judgment, but there's still gonna be time for repentance and faith in light of what he would do in the future where he would lay down his life and rise from the dead where he would bear the wrath of God in the place of those who have no ears to hear so that when they see the cross and the empty tomb, there's still time to repent and believe. And so the judgment that he pronounces right here won't have to fall on them. 
How beautiful is that? Let's look now at this verse 16. But what shall I compare this generation? And so now he's going to, he's a great teacher. He's a great illustrator. He gives some metaphors here. It is like, so it's kind of like this. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, these are hard words, are they not? <clears throat> these are hard words. Look back at verse 17. We play the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. What's he getting at here? Well, modern equivalent might be this. We, we brought out the birthday cake for your friend and you refused to sing, but you sat in the corner grumpy. The presents were under the tree, but you rejected them because you feared it wasn't what you wanted. His point here is that you didn't do what you should have done. See, when someone plays joyful music, we dance. When you go to a funeral, you don't dance, you mourn and you carry yourself with reverence. Jesus is just saying everyone is doing the opposite of what they should have done. They missed the point that they should have seen clearly. They should have listened with ears to hear. They should have recognized what the Old Testament said. And he just continues the illustration. Look back at verse 18 and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. More adventures and missing the point. Jesus wasn't a drunkard. And a friend of sinners is a really good thing because it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. See, he's just saying, you guys have missed the point totally. And that's what Jesus is warning and speaking out against here. He's just saying, don't miss what's so loud and clear. Don't reject based on expectations that are not well-founded. And then Jesus takes it up a notch. In verse, in verse 20, you can see he starts these pronouncements of woe. See that repeated word of woe? A pronouncement of woe is just a pronouncement of wrath or coming wrath. It's like when you, when you hear people say, woe is me. What does that mean? It means my situation is terrible. What I'm enduring is horrible. Woe is me. Like wrath is upon me. And that's what Jesus is pronouncing on all these people. 
who missed the point and didn't have ears to hear and wouldn't believe by faith. He's, he pronounces woe upon them, like something terrible is coming your way because of this, because you wouldn't listen, because you didn't have ears to hear. This is what Jesus is doing here. It's not, it's not comfortable. Like This is a staggering claim that Jesus is making right now, if you can see it. And it's something that many, many of us don't like to have to come to terms with. He's just basically saying, I'm the dividing line. I'm the dividing line. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying that rejection of him means horrible things will happen to you. That's verse 20, 21, 22, 23. That's what he's saying. Horrible things happened as a result of God's wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus just says straight up, it will be easier for those people on the day of judgment. Why? Because they didn't have the same information. They didn't have Jesus walking in their very midst. And that's what he's saying. He's like, you have me in your very presence. You've got way more information. You've got way more that you're held accountable to act upon. It'd be kind of like this. If, if you had the information that a high public official was going to be assassinated and you knew everything about what was going to happen and you didn't do anything about it. And after he's assassinated, they find out that you knew this information and did nothing. You would be held accountable for that. You might even go to prison for that. Like we all understand how that works. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's just saying rejection of the living God walking in your midst is high treason. It doesn't, build, it doesn't bode well for those who commit high treason. That's what Jesus is saying here. So now the main question comes. How can we not be like those people? How can we not miss the point of Jesus and what he's saying about himself? So maybe we start with, are there expectations that we have of Jesus that don't seem to be fulfilled right now? Like, Jesus, I thought if I came and followed you that my life would be 100% easier. Well, there's no promise of that in the scripture. Or I, I just thought that if I would follow you, you would make my life better by giving me a spouse and I hate being single. Or, or maybe... It's, man, I thought if I followed you, I would be healthy and wealthy. And that hasn't happened. There's no promise of that in the scripture. It could be anything, but I think that's a really important question for us to think about if we sense um, disappointment in following God. If we sense disappointment in walking with the Lord. Like, how can we address that question, these questions, so that the woes of Jesus that he pronounced on those people wouldn't be pronounced upon us? Now, it's not easy, but it's super simple. I think it's, the key is what he just said in verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't reject the message. Believe in Jesus in a way that looks like you trust him and you treasure him. Matthew wrote these things down 
for an original audience to see, believe, trust, and treasure in Jesus. And the same is true for us 2,000 years later. Matthew's just saying, I'm writing this down so you guys don't miss the point. Jesus might not be what you expected. You didn't expect a crucified Messiah. You, you didn't expect a Messiah arisen from the dead. You should have, but you, you didn't. Jesus might not be what you're expecting, but that's okay. Like, if you read the Gospels, you'll see this theme. Jesus rocks everybody's world from one time or another, right? Jesus uh, blows up our categories sometimes. Jesus pushes all of our buttons from time to time. And the problem is not Jesus, the problem is us. But don't let that cause you to fall away. He can be trusted. Why? Because he loves you. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Matthew 5, 8. You can trust him. You can have ears to hear because God has demonstrated that he loves you. What could be better than the God of the universe saying that he loves you? The creator of the vast expanse of everything we see and behold with our eyes in creation saying that he loves you. What could be better than that? He can be trusted. Why? Because the tomb is empty as a historical fact as we celebrated last week and we celebrate every single day as Christians. He can be trusted. Why? Because God's word is proven true over and over again in our lives. Think about that. Isn't that the case? It is for me. So the message for them then and for us now is really the same. Read the scriptures. See them correspond with Jesus and his life and your life and believe. Lay down your resistance. Come to Jesus. You know that he loves you. You know that he's alive and risen from the dead. You know that you need a savior and that your sin debt is too huge for you to pay on your own. Come to Jesus and live. Come to Jesus and live. The woes of Jesus, the, the pronouncement of wrath doesn't have to fall on you. Jesus is more than willing to have those pronouncements fall on himself in our place as the ultimate substitute, God himself substituting himself for us so that we don't have to bear the wrath of God. He bears it for us in our place so that he gets the glory and we get the joy. The message is the same. Come to Jesus and live. If you have ears to, if you have ears to hear, come to Jesus and live. Let's pray. Father, would you help us be true of us this morning? Would you help us? We need your help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to open eyes and open hearts. We ask that you would do that in my heart, in my family's heart here, in, in, in this room right now, and all those that are watching right now. But we pray for them that there would be eyes to see, ears to hear. Um, would you soften hard hearts and cause us to, to awaken to the greatness and glory of who you are? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.